Could micro-recycling create high-value opportunities for your local community? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome back, it's episode 87 and thanks for listening. Today we're heading off to the University of New South Wales in Sydney, Australia to meet Professor Veena Sahajwala, an internationally recognised material scientist, engineer and inventor who's revolutionising recycling science. Professor Veena is renowned for pioneering the high temperature transformation of waste in the production of a new generation of green materials, at the UNSW Sustainable Materials Research and Technology Centre, the Smart Centre, where she's the founding director. Professor Vina is the inventor of polymer injection technology, known as green steel, a process for using recycled tyres in steel production. In 2018, Vina launched the world's first e-waste microfactory. And in 2019, she launched her plastics and green ceramics microfactories, another breakthrough for recycling technology. Vina explains what microfactories and microrecycling is all about, and why it's important to get clear on the constituent materials in waste flows. For example, not just textiles, but what the textile is made from. Vina explains the importance of thinking beyond the manufacture of the recycled material, so you're designing solutions that are properly suitable for high-value end products. Vina also describes how the projects are collaborating with industry partners, helping open up opportunities for important local jobs, skills and resilient income streams. So let's jump into the conversation and I'll catch up with you afterwards with what I took away. Veena, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on the Circular Economy podcast so that we can talk about the work you and your colleagues are doing on the micro factories and micro recycling concepts. And I'm really interested to know more about that. So could we start by asking if you could unpack that a bit for us? What are micro factories? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, Catherine. And uh, micro factories are really all about showing that production in a decentralized way of all kinds of value-added products that we need in our lives can be done in a local and a regional setting where the predominant feedstock and the material is a waste resource. And, and micro factories are ultimately about creating value from waste so that no matter what we have, whether it's coming from our homes, our offices, uh, we're not kind of detaching ourselves from uh, the notion that, well, it's somebody else's problem, <laughs> but rather taking that uh, responsibility so that we can indeed start to say, what does it take to build that local ecosystem? And if we have to build that local ecosystem, um, you know, what are the benefits of doing that 
it's pretty obvious when you stop and think about it that micro factories actually, as we have shown in setting these up in regional communities in Australia, is that we can create local jobs. And to me, that's so important. It gets people excited about the fact that waste is not a burden on our environment. Waste is really just another material that is a resource that is waiting to be harnessed. So we can imagine that the full circularity of different kinds of materials and their transformation and not always seeing that there's always got to be the like for like conversion, which is what we tend to think recycling is all about, but mm. rather to think that if we can't convert the same product uh, into that like for like conversion, that's okay. What we are really saying is that the micro level, that micro recycling is getting right down at that final level of detail and saying, now I should see a product, not just as a piece of textile waste or, or glass waste, but rather to see those as important materials. And what would that transformation look like if we were able to apply those concepts of micro recycling where the transformation is such that that fabric that went into into the production doesn't come out as a fabric in fact waste textiles and glass get converted into our green ceramic products so so get this we've got a nice soft fabric um and of course hard glass um and of course our, our micro factories and and how we manufacture in our micro factories, but at the micro recycling transformation level, which is what we're really talking about here, is really to reform those materials. And by reforming it, we're actually showing that it is possible to actually produce a whole new product, um, which is the most important thing is of high quality. Mm. And yes, those green ceramics are what we're then using for various building applications. Um, and that's really what micro factories are all about. It's about showcasing that ultimately it's really about those economies of purpose mm. and economies of purpose can be brought to life. You know, we really stop and think what is the purpose in a given community or in a given regional town? If we want to have that ability to bring more manufacturing into those regions, bring local jobs, do our own uh, recycling and reforming, we need to be able to actually encourage and support those local local actions and circular economy in action is the way we will deliver impact and that's really what micro factories are all about mm. i think there are so many fascinating aspects to that so um just to bring it to life a bit if we could talk about that green ceramics example um just so people get a, a clearer picture in their mind so we're using textiles and glass found locally so are the are the textiles do they need to be any specific textiles or can you use typical textile waste which is you know a mixture of natural fibers and synthetics and and so on so Catherine, i always yeah so i always talk about the fact that you know when when we talk about raw material and feedstock um you know, we have to also remember that in any manufacturing operation, that control of that input feedstock is important. And so part of what we have developed in terms of micro recycling solutions is exactly that, that we need to understand what these different kinds of fibers are, what are the different input materials coming from, of course, textiles. And then the other part, of course, is glass. And we're creating a highly integrated product um, between two materials that wouldn't normally come together. 
So part of this is very much about also saying that, you know, we're designing these solutions where that fundamentals of material science has to deliver ultimately into a high quality product. So part of what we do with our micro recycling science is that behavior of those materials at the micro level. And that then allows us to put them un under micro factory settings and creating these kinds of green ceramics that then allow us to create, you know, robust and solid products where of course these materials by coming together, they actually interestingly give us all that high performance that we are after. So if you want to put into floor tiles, you know, what is the expected standard in terms of performance? And, and that's the important question there that, you know, we need to be able to always look at it, not from just the point of view of input, but really go back and say, what does the manufacturing do to these materials? And ultimately the pr product that you make, is it fit for purpose? Hmm. But because it's no point somebody making a feedstock and saying, oh, look, I've made these pellets, get it out there, and I'm going to hope that there is a market for it. And what we are saying is that you can't just be in the world of recycling and remanufacturing without having an appreciation for the finished product that you want to make. Mm. I think you, and I that's think... really what. I think you raise a really a really interesting point, and that was something that Colin Church um, from the Institute of um, Minerals, Metals and Mining, I think I've got that right, IOM3 um, in the UK, he raised that and said that often with modern supply chains, those involved at the beginning in the material development and so on, have no visibility of the kind of end uses for their product so they're not able to optimize the design of it so i think this whole system perspective of thinking what product could we create that's needed locally that's high value and obviously meets any performance specifications and i guess ideally is in some way better than the existing alternative whether it's because that's um you know better from a sustainability point of view or um, even just just the fact that it's it's local or whatever, but but you know how how can it compete? But just to come back to make sure, I, I, I'm really fascinated to understand more about um, the the process, I guess, for the feedstock. So, are you uh, t t have I understood that you take whatever batch of textiles you get at that time and then look to see what the particular prop chemical properties of that batch are once it goes through the recycling process? and use that to then um, determine the, the specification of this week's end, end product. Is that how it works? Well, I mean, we do have both aspects. You know, when you think about textiles, the, the way it performs is one, it's actually, you know, seen as a material that undergoes, of course, that transformation in, in of course, the way those molecules work. Mm. in that system so there's, yeah. there's that part so it, we've got right? the, the the fibers then to make sure i understand it so we're you're not trying to get something down to uh, a granular level are you working with with the fibers themselves yeah that that, that's ah, okay exactly right that makes more sense so, you know then. i mean you okay. might you might have these kinds of fibrous materials i'm holding holding this up you mm -hmm. can see that it's about the fibers mm. and and of course it's also about you know, ultimately, um, the kinds of colors that come into mm. these kinds of products come from waste textiles. So there is both that engineering side of it. 
in the way these materials work at a micro level. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, how that fiber gets integrated into the whole structure mm-hmm. and how it all gets bonded together. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. So that's that's one side of it. Uh, but then the other side of it is, you know, the aesthetics part of it. Mm. Because, of course, what people love in the kinds of things we're, we're producing is, you know, how do we create these products that represent you know, the local colors. And of course, we produce, for example, different kinds of green ceramic tiles, all of these made from, you know, perhaps textiles that people might have from their old uniforms, for instance. And so so it, there is there is that emotional connectivity as well. Mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. Down at the at the fundamental level of fibers and, and, and each of the other sort of, you know, materials that are there in a hybrid uh, blend, Mm. Um, that hybrid blend, of course, without getting into those details, now performs is multifunctional. And okay. so that's really why what we are really trying to do is see different kinds of textiles, not just as something that puts in the color. I mean, that's the obvious, you know, um, outcome. You can see that. <laughs> it looks looks pretty amazing. Um, but but on the other hand, there's also other other transformations at the micro level that these textiles undergo. And this is why, of course, the way we produce it, um, of course, it's a patented uh, process that mm. allows us to really fine tune, which is what our research of micro recycling has shown us. And that then allows us to fine tune that input in the right blended form to be able to have that blend, then be able to, to be manufactured in the form of green ceramic tile. Um, so yes, there is, there is a lot of fundamental science that then allows us to incorporate and create those um, various hybrids, uh, mm. which are again fit for purpose. Yeah, and I guess there's no end of interesting stories you can create. Um, you know, if you're using sort of small batches of input products, um, you know, end of end of use textiles and so on. The uniforms example that you that you gave. Um, it reminds yeah. me of um, Elvis and Cressa, who make very high quality bags, belts, wallets and so on out of end of life fire hose, um, which is, you know, laminated, a really complicated product. But of course, you know, that that end of life product has saved hundreds, if not thousands of lives uh, and can go on for years and years and years as a, as a belt or wallet. <coughs> so um, how do you decide... Um, what kind of waste materials to use are you are you led by the science of what could we transform this into or are you led by the um you know what's very problematic in a local area Mm. i mean it's got to be always um both ends of that spectrum you know on one hand the science is exciting i mean we'll be looking at scientific solutions for things like e-waste for batteries so we're developing our micro factories and that micro recycling science for some of the more complex waste Uh, products like our batteries. Um, But on the other hand, um, of course, we know that when it comes to community needs, um, you know, batteries are going to be an important question moving forward. People are concerned about broadly how to recycle um, energy storage devices. Um, You know, whether whether we're talking about the little handheld uh, systems or the larger um, you know, batteries like solar batteries. I mean, in all of these cases, we recognize that these material resources um, are indeed limited resources on the planet. Mm. So we really get a lot of energy that has gone into making them in the first place. Um, so why would you not go after the kinds of metals that they contain, uh, but really 
you know, go after it in a way that you can create clean and green processes um, so that businesses that are really looking to ultimately how recycling of batteries, for example, or, or e-waste more generally can occur, also recognize that it's not just here's one big solution and that's all it is, but recognize that there are multiple pathways mm. to be able to get a particular element or, you know, an oxide. So if you want to get to zinc oxide, you can source that zinc, for example, from some of the batteries. And so then to be able to say, okay, aha, so if I have that zinc oxide, now I've got a rather expensive material that I can source from waste. And, and in all of these cases, again, going back to that point about, you know, what kind of quality material and product do I make? And is that going to be good enough to meet the requirements for the user who's going to take that and put that into, into their application. So I think to me, whether we're talking about green ceramics or indeed a lot of our work on green metals, in all these cases, they have to have that quality um, you know, component in that thinking, um, you know, whether it's around the chemistry or whether it is around the end product properties, how waste resources come together and, and how they are you know, transformed in that collective uh, like we were talking about, you know, whether it is our making of our green ceramics or what do we make with old batteries in terms of, um, you know, metals. In all of those cases, we've got materials that are mixed up. And of course, it is near impossible to unpack that because these are rather complex materials. Mm. It's not just physically crushing up glass or shredding out uh, plastics and saying, OK, well, here it is shredded or crushed glass or whatever. Now we're talking about even more complex materials, uh, like all the all the mass that is present inside our batteries and of course our e-waste. So we've suddenly got to deal with the fact that there may well be some metallics, there may well be some plastics. And the structures of more and more complex product uh, is the reason why, of course, we talk about micro recycling. You know, how do you on a circuit board um, start to think about producing both copper alloys and tin alloys? because both copper and tin are present and they're both important. But how do you go about making that without necessarily using a smelter? Mm. Because of course you can throw everything in a smelter and you can say, look, I mean, you know, the big grand big smelter will look after it. But what if we are talking about decentralized solutions, the, the advantage of what we talk about in terms of some of the, the techniques that we have developed, those fundamental techniques allow us to isolate these different metals so you can bring about that isolation and ultimately your one single input, you know, let's say it is a circuit board, can be isolated into these different metallic alloys like copper-based or tin-based alloys. And that's important because then I could be somebody who is processing um, e-waste, but I know I can create these um, different kinds of alloys for various markets. Um, and of course, both copper and tin are important. Um, tin, of course, as we know, is used for soldering purposes. And of course, copper is used uh, for all kinds of electrification applications. So, so, you know, you need to be able to then say, okay, well, that means I actually can have multiple pathways in a decentralized way through that one feedstock produce core products. Mm. It's not a byproduct, it's a core product. Yeah. And, and that's really where some of the fundamental scientific techniques that we've developed around um, you know, really selectively synthesizing uh, the kinds of uh, materials that you do need, uh, which is why, of course, we call it micro recycling, because it is certainly not 
the traditional recycling of throw everything into one big factory and mm. uh, and and we'll get one output from that. Um, it's very finely controlled, uh, which I think also makes it really possible to control quality of the product you're making. Yeah, and I'm envisaging just how complicated um, the input process must be because I'm guessing that for the vast majority of, particularly if we're talking about e-waste, it's not even evident what materials that contains. You know, there's no bill of materials that's embedded. <laughs> you know, people are working on that, aren't they? Sort of using um, nanotechnology yeah. and labeling and so on to make it clear what's in this what's in this e-waste. But at the moment, it's just a guessing game, isn't it? So trying to work out what's in there and then how to isolate it. And um, yeah, uh, <coughs> Professor Walter Stahl talks about two new industrial eras in his latest book, um, one of which is the era of D, um, which is, you know, all around depolymerization, delamination, um, you know, and then the easier stuff of delabeling and so on, but a whole new range of industrial processes that need to be created and, as you're doing, created in a way that they can work at a micro scale. You know, the the, the days of mass everything, um, as we know, involve lots of logistics and, and cost and energy. Um, and being able to do things on a on a micro level seems to be a much much better way forward. And so. Um, I know on some of these projects you've partnered with local companies, um, mm -hmm. and so how how did that come about, and and what have the benefits of that been? Yeah, look, collaboration with local companies here in Australia has been an absolute privilege for me, um, because I think to me so many businesses are committed to sustainability, and really want to play their part and 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 go beyond the the kind of traditional um, solutions. So I think taking it to a whole new level means they've got to embrace the, the science and they've got to be a, a partner in both science and technology. Um, and I think to me, that's really where, you know, recognizing that the Australian Research Council ARC here in Australia funds research that allows us to bring together uh, both fundamental and applied science is important. And as part of many of these programs, um, you know, we are able to bring together that partnership where businesses and of course ARC can fund these programs uh, for research. And, and of course, taking that then logically um, with them to, to the commercial level is, uh, is such an obvious thing to do. And uh, we're really privileged because you know, many of them who are excited about the work that we have done uh, through, through the scientific work um, you know, can't wait in many instances to set things up, get it up and running. And uh, so I guess to me that that's really how it's happened um, in many instances. Um, you know, they've they've uh, really, you know, seen that collaboration as a long term partnership. Mm. And uh, to have that means it's it's quite obvious that these will be the partners that will then move on and work work towards uh, commercialization with you. Yeah. You know? And, so, and are any uh, yeah. are any of the projects close to being um, commercialised at, at this point? Uh, uh, look, absolutely. Both we've got two big uh, ones in in um, the making. Both our green ceramics I was telling you about, and also our green steel. Uh, and our green steel project takes takes in things like waste tyres, with the goal that um, we can indeed uh, supply um, hydrogen into the making of steel. 
uh, and that carbon all coming from waste tires and being able to liberate those, um, those fundamental hydrogen molecules um, in situ and to bring about those reactions in situ inside those um, operations means that it gives um, Steelmaker um, right now an opportunity to produce green steel. So wow. yeah, that, that's been that's been something that we've been super excited about. You know that um, people are willing to really be very open-minded and to consider the kinds of solutions that we're developing in Australia. Because it's one thing to say, oh, but we need to use hydrogen and less coal and coal, but you know, where is that hydrogen going to come from? How is it going to be deployed? So part of that, again, that journey of thinking around bringing waste resources into the supply chains and then looking at how it's actually delivered mm. in a practical manufacturing setting. A lot of those practical challenges are what we are overcoming uh, to, to indeed manufacture um, green steel in an EAF. And, uh, and of course, Sarah, green ceramic products in, in our micro factories, which is, um, uh, you know, a small business there in a semi uh, taking that on and, um, you know, running with it in, in a regional town. So I think to me that partnership of how we really support um, innovation and ideas, um, you know, has to happen through collaboration. Mm. And, and that collaboration is something we've been really, really lucky that uh, incredibly fantastic companies in Australia um, really are so firmly supporting um, the science as well as technology development and uh, and then take it to the next level where they start to want to commercialize it. Um, yeah, I couldn't ask for anything more. It's a, it's a win-win outcome, I think, for the world of science and technology. Yeah, and I think it really is the dawn of a new industrial revolution, isn't it, with people thinking so differently about what they should be producing and how, you know, what materials, what energies, um, what kind of shape and size of supply chain um, and going going for this sort of micro scale and <coughs> thinking about resilience instead of reliance on, on uh, partners that you might not be sure about. I came across a, a, a new buzzword the other day. I can't remember where I where I um, picked it up, but it was it. It was friendshoring, so not <laughs> offshoring and nearshoring, but you know, yeah. making sure that wherever you're going to, you know, wh yeah. whatever your supply chain relies on in terms of, um, you know, things that are outside your control, that those are going yeah. to be long long term collaborative partners, whether that's a country or a or a supplier. Um, yeah. So Vina, it's all fascinating, and I can see there are just so many so many benefits. Uh, and I think there's some really exciting things going on in in the science and also in the, you know, thinking through how how's this going to work? How's it going to work when it goes beyond the gates of the university and, and has to stand on its own two feet? And as the micro factory and micro recycling projects have evolved, <laughs> what surprised you the most? <laughs> um, I, I guess what's been really interesting is, um, to me, one, the passion that the team has and the team that is both the team at the university as well as the team at, um, you know, the, the micro factory operations. And I think it's almost as if we're not two separate teams, you know, it's a seamless integrated team. And I think to me, 
that's been really lovely to see how they all work together and how we all get excited, you know, we'll come in and do some prototyping at our, you know, demonstration facility at, at uh, UNSW in Sydney. And that then is translated across into the actual, um, you know, micro factory operations. And I think to me, that ability to have that translation and to be able to translate that really quickly also comes down to, as we were saying, you know, I mean, they, the the culture that even though we might come from different worlds, uh, but we do share those values that we have in common. And I think to me, um, that's what we need to be looking for is our shared values. Um, and I think um, it's been absolutely lovely that I've seen businesses that have started out as, you know, waste recycling businesses, which is really where my industry partner uh, in Kudamandra was, um, you know, when, when he was doing recycling of tires and mattresses and so on, um, you know, and collection and all of that. But then to make that transition into becoming a manufacturer, I think to me says a lot that it just goes to show that, you know what, where people have got that passion and that commitment to solve these problems, um, people will find a way to make it happen. And through our collaboration and this partnership, I think, again, without, without his commitment and passion, we could not have delivered this. So I think it works both ways that, you know, that true partnership is what we all need to be looking towards. Um, and I think I'm really pleased that, you know, in that partnership with Andrew, uh, you know, we've got a partner who, um, you know, really understands and is committed and is passionate towards the environment, but also recognizes that, you know, this is relatively young technology. And there will be learnings that will happen along the way. Um, and, and But that's okay. You know, I mean, that's part of the, the joy and the fun of learning as well. Um, and, and not everything has to be and it will not go perfectly uh, at the start. So I think to me, um, you know, we've got to give a lot of credit to our, to our industry partners where they're willing to, of course, you know, they're, they're putting so much money into, into this production, but really also respecting that... Uh, you know, this is really relatively young science of micro recycling. Um, and, um, you know, we, we are already ahead of the curve um, in, in terms of what we can do. Um, so I guess from, from that perspective, uh, I, I always see it as together for all of us, it's only the beginning of the journey. Mm. Yeah, that's fascinating. And that resonates with, with um, something... Um, I was reading. I was. I'm just preparing for a uh, a talk about the circular economy and its impact on education and jobs. And uh, there's an Alvin Toffler quote. I can't remember the beginning of it, but it's kind of you know about those who will succeed, and it's it's those who have the ability to learn, unlearn, and then relearn. And that's what we're all doing yeah. now, isn't it? Is kind of unlearning some what we thought were truths about, about the way the yeah. world works um yeah. and uh you know and having to reframe things and and take on new world views and and different perspectives and i think getting clear on your values and and going back to those each time when something new comes up or a problem surfaces that can really help guide um what to do in the way forward so vina if you were to talk to somebody who's getting interested in the circular economy and thinking about whether they could start something circular or take their business in a more circular direction, what's the number one tip that you'd share with them? I'd say 
you know, you need to think holistically. If you're thinking about circular economy, it can't just be the fact that I'm going to be at kind of one end of this whole sort of thinking. You've got to think holistically and you've got to think about what are the end markets and how circular way of thinking and doing circular um, so that practical solutions um, can actually be deployed. So think circular solutions um, at, at the time when you're starting to think about um, circular economy because solutions and how you get there uh, right at the very start are going to be extremely important so that when you embark on that journey, you're also thinking about that all of that circularity that sits not necessarily everything in your control, but rather that collaborative and the collective approach uh, so that when we talk about those supply chains, what kind of opportunities you could be creating, not just today and tomorrow, but well and truly into the future. What are some of those materials and products and manufactured solutions that you need to think about that are going to be truly sustainable and the world is prepared to invest in it? Yes, a lot, lots to unpack there, but that, yeah, um... It does. You do need to really think about the long term because some of the solutions that have come up so far have then been shown to be detrimental in other ways. You know that um, I'm thinking of um, a lot of the recycling processes at the moment, particularly around plastics. You know the mm. the chemicals and the energy involved pretty much creates a bigger footprint than creating the virgin materials which of course is great for the fossil fuel manufacturers and that's why they're so keen on it um but yeah let's let's i won't get sidetracked into that so so vena i'm guessing um you know i think it sounds like you're a big fan of the circular economy in general and maybe yeah. you have a a favorite example or even somebody that you'd recommend as a as a future guest um and uh, and obviously your favorite example is probably one of your micro factory <laughs> products but I'm, I'm going to ask you to choose something else so i'd probably say my industry partner who who i've mentioned um andrew would be um you know an example of a person who um is passionate but also uh, like us, doesn't want to stop <laughs> and, uh, you know, sees many, many opportunities along the way. So uh, I, I think to me, that's why it is a favorite example, <laughs> these these kinds of uh, solutions and, and, and our micro factory solutions, because I think the power that it has to create incredible impact on remote and regional communities across the world um, and deliver on win-win outcomes for our planet and for our people. Mm. And, and what's his? What is Andrew's company's called? Uh, it's called Kandui. Uh, K-A-N-D-U-I. Kandui. Um, so that's um, great. Kandui Technologies. Um, yeah, but look, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure he'd love to love to have a bit of yarn with you. <laughs> great stuff. Well, um, I'll. Um hook up with you afterwards to get his contact details. Thank you. And Veena, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing overnight to help create a better world, what would that be? You know, the magic wand that I would want to kind of wave across would be that all of us in our homes and our local 
you know, councils and communities and, and local government agencies are working together to start with these local actions. Because if we can start doing these things, you know, in the proper way um, at the local level, that can be replicated across the world. Um, so that, that magic wand really has to be about enabling local solutions to come to life. Um, and that means those local communities, including local businesses and local governments, um, can work together and, and see the benefits. Yeah. It's so important, isn't it, that we move the narrative away from big business being the answer to everything, um, which I'm realising after reading a book by Karen Higgs called uh, Collision Course, I'm realising just how intentional that's been. It's not just kind of happened because businesses created good solutions. You know, there have been orchestrated campaigns and, and millions of pounds of funding going into creating this myth that business knows better than government and, and, and so mm. on. Uh, and um, in fact, I think it might have been Karen Higgs who first sent me a video about you um ah. <laughs> yeah so um so maybe we should maybe we should link you up um so excellent and how can people find out more and get in touch and you know explore the work that you're doing on the micro factories and micro recycling yeah so uh certainly uh, people can jump on our website which is for the smart center that's smart.unsw.edu.au um, and that's uh, that's our website, and they'll be able to jump on the website, see these videos and things, and uh, and certainly uh, send us an email if they they're interested in finding out more. Thank you, and thank you so much, Vina, for taking the time to join us today, uh, particularly because it's at the end of your your working day. And good luck with the next phase of the micro factories and micro recycling projects, and of course all the other projects that you and your colleagues are working on at the Smart Centre. Thank you so much for having me, Catherine. These concepts really resonate with me. Finding ways to use what's available locally and turn something that has little value and even negative value into a high value product that's useful locally. Vina explained the importance of thinking strategically about the inputs and outputs you're looking for. There might be multiple pathways back to one element. For example, zinc oxide from batteries or from galvanised steel. And one end-of-life product might contain multiple materials, so the elements in a printed circuit board could have a wide variety of alternative future uses. That means recycling solutions often start with a multifaceted challenge. How many pathways are there to get the materials you might need? And how many other materials are available in this same waste stream? Vina explained the importance of thinking beyond the manufacture of the recycled material, so you're designing solutions that are properly suitable for high-value end products. And that was something Colin Church of IOM3 raised back in episode 78. Colin explained some of the issues with the opaque, complex and multi-tiered supply chains that exist for many products, with those people involved in creating the materials often having no knowledge of what those materials will be used for. By the way, that's one of our most listened to episodes. I also mentioned Elvis and Cressa, which makes high quality bags, wallets and more from end of life fire hose. 
you can hear my interview with Cressa Wesling, one of my original Circular Economy heroes, back in episode 68. We're learning so much right now about the importance of resilience and the dangers of being reliant on long-distance, opaque supply chains. Many countries are dealing with the prospect of losing important income streams from fossil fuel power generation, from mining raw materials that are running out, or from supply chains in decline, like the internal combustion engine. The negative value that comes with waste, and especially with difficult to recycle waste like textiles and plastics, can be a big drag on local communities which have to either pay to get this into a recycling system, or deal with the problems of waste building up in landfills or open-air dumps. I can see so many research, innovation and business opportunities here, and I think every country and community could be investing in similar projects to help deal with problematic waste, create locally available high-value products, and of course to create, in Vina's words, economies of purpose and meaningful jobs. This month, I'll be doing another couple of webinars for the United Nations for the 2022 edition of the UNSSC Circular Economy course, so I might see some of you on Zoom. I'll be presenting alongside former podcast guests Brian Bauer of Al Gramo from episode 42 and Sandra Goldmark, the author of Fixation, How to Have Stuff Without Breaking the Planet from episode 41. So that's it for another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Professor Veena Sahajwala, founder of the University of New South Wales Smart Centre, and thank you for listening. You can find out more and follow Professor Veena on social media, and you can check out the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities, with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice 
and circular economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. <laughs>